Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 706-0111 on this Thursday. Uh, kind of a weird one because you're trying to figure a, a lot of things out and you think you know, but you may not know. And so we'll uh, be doing a lot of speculating and observing and figuring out things today. On the show, we do plan on talking to Stevie P in the next segment and then Craig Malonson talking some Cajun baseball at about 10.15. Other than that, we'll have open phone lines. If um, And again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111. Has anybody since we spoken yesterday and left the show – has anyone discovered who the 2023 Geno Smith might be? I no. don't know. Uh, I don't know if anyone's going to know that until I think maybe some NFL GMs that think they figured it out, but uh, I don't know. But who could it be? Seriously, like who? Who? If you were going to give me the top two candidates, because look, last year at this time, no one thought Geno Smith, other than him and his mom, <laughs> thought he was going to do what he did. No one. Yeah. Again, I. I that's the point. It's like it's it's very hard to see. I think maybe I really don't know. I don't have a good answer for you because there's a combination of things. The reason the Geno Smith thing is way out of left field is because we didn't think of Seattle as a, you know, a successful offensive franchise. We thought Russell Wilson was the reason for most of their success, right? So, not only was he in a bat, you know who the who the guy might be? Maybe it's uh well, it looks like now they're going to go with Sam Howell in Washington. Like a guy, you know what I mean? A guy on a defensive led roster that we don't think too highly of that maybe has a couple of weapons. Um, I would have said Heineke, but they're not going with him. It looks like they're going to go with Sam Howell. That's what I'm saying. Is, is, is Heineke any good? He, he's spunky. I think he's. I think he's right there with the Gardner Minshew. Like that's the same oh, category he, I would put him in. I think Gardner Minshew's terrible. Well, I just think he's terrible. You know what's funny about Gardner Minshew and Taylor Heineke that I think. It's the and you and, and and you're not fond of Baker Mayfield, and I don't blame you for that. But the funny thing is, Baker Mayfield, I think, gets a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. And it's what I was actually just we talked on at RP3 a little bit. Like Peyton Turner, he's no longer. I hate when people keep saying he's a first round pick. You got to play him this and that. He's no longer a first round pick to me. That's a sunk cost. Like, yeah, we used him in the first round. Now, if he doesn't work out, whatever, we got to move on. And maybe some of the contract stuff like happens. But like Baker Mayfield has, I think, more hope around the league because it's like they're hanging on to the fact that he was the number one overall pick. Whereas Heineke and, and Minshew, who weren't top picks, now you, you don't feel the same way. But it's like, the guy was drafted where he was drafted, and that's over. We're, we're years removed from that. Yes. Which is how I feel about Peyton Turner and Marcus Davenport. They're and, no longer first-round picks to me. And Baker Mayfield is a third- or fourth-round talent, at best. I mean, he, I mean he's, he's, he's short, and his arm strength is not that good. Like, where does his talent come from? His, his talent came from Lincoln Riley called his plays. Like, there was no other talent. There is no other talent. He's short, and his arm is not that strong, and he's a punk. So, I mean, I mean, he, he, he had Lincoln Riley as his coach. So, 
If he didn't go to if he didn't if he didn't transfer to Oklahoma and have Lincoln Riley, like what would he have done? Like he would have been nothing. He, he he's not a talent. He has very little talent at that level. I, I just no. There's got to be one. Well, I say there's got to be one. The bottom line is the truth of the matter is I don't know. We'd have to go back and really do some research, which. We're not going to do right now, but it it had probably been a while since there was a Geno Smith until there was a Geno Smith last year. Yeah, no, I mean, I I don't think there is a Geno Smith every year. I'm just saying if there is one, I'm going to be very angry if it creeps up on us. Yeah, no, I hear. What we you're need saying. to we need to we need to establish who that is. I guess that's what makes you know GMs playing hunches and and all that kind of stuff. I'm just you know I just was in waiting to come on, and Steve walked by, and I said, Steve, Tom Petty was a genius. Because, I mean, like, this waiting stuff is what kills you. I mean, it just kills you. I mean, it's just, the waiting is the hardest part. Like, like let's say they don't get, let's say this Derek Carr buys this Jet stuff uh, and, and goes to the Jets. It'll be, it'll be bad but at least you kind of know part of what you're dealing with. The waiting and the uncertainty is just awful. It's just, just awful. All right. Um, last night at the Cajun Dome, you know, the problem with the women is if they don't, they're a defensive team and they did not play well defensively. And one of the things I was worried about that matchup is the Cajuns have owned Texas State for a long time. And they crushed them by 20 in San Marcos. Sooner or later, though, if you're a pretty good team, you get tired of another team beating you. And and I think they came up with a great game plan. And you got to just give Texas State credit. I think they came up with a great game plan. You watch Denisha Hood play. She is so good. And, you know, you just wonder how... The Cajuns held her to four points in the first game. Like you just wonder how how did they do that on the road? Like I, you know, how did they do that? The bottom line is the Cajuns um loss. All signs point towards the Cajun women being the seventh seed. And guess who the tenth seed is? Arkansas State, the hottest team in the Sun Belt, like offensively. I mean, that is not a good matchup. That that that's not a lock, but it looks pretty close to a lock. Like I, their first game, well over fifty percent is going to be Arkansas State. Now, to to Coach Broadhead's point, it's one thing to to score a bunch of points and look great offensively at home. It's another thing to do it on a neutral site in the pressure of the conference tournament, especially when you're playing with a bunch of young players who have never really done it. So. You know, the fact that this is more in the spotlight um it, you know probably favors the the Cajuns in that matchup, but we'll see. Uh the men I mean, um from what I can see, if everything happens the way that we think tomorrow or hope tomorrow night as Cajun fans, the Cajuns win the conference, right? They win the tiebreaker. Correct? 
If 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 yeah. if if Marshall loses to ODU and Texas State wins and the Cajuns win, the Cajuns win the conference. So that are number one seed. The one, number one seed, yes. Now yeah. the conference would be shared title anyway. They don't. Yeah. They don't really in basketball. I don't think they're going to like declare a champion. They're, they'll all be co-champions. The thing that I'm struggling with on that though is I need a and I, I'm going to try and figure it out again. The Sunbelt released like some updated tie-breaking procedures, and it didn't really clarify much. It was kind of still pretty confusing. If it's a three-team tie with Southern Miss and Marshall, it's Cages a weird. Are two and one. No one else is that good. So, but that was my question: Is it then that your record against those teams, or is it your record against the next best team that's not a part of the tiebreaker, which would then be JMU, which you all would lose the tiebreaker of? But it would make more sense for it to be your record amongst combined games against yeah. teams in the top, which you all's two and one, Marshall's one and one, Southern Miss is uh, one and or one and two. No one else has two wins. Yeah, in correct. that in that. So deal. you would win. Yeah, if if everything went correctly, you would win a share of the conference title. An automatic bid to the NIT and the number one seed of the conference tournament. It could be a great night for the Cajuns. With that being said, Southern Miss is heading to Texas State, and some disappointing news for me, the way I was looking at it, I was hoping, and I mentioned this a little bit, that Texas State was going to be playing to get out of the bottom four, who has to play the extra game. They now, with their loss, they are still one game behind Monroe, and Monroe holds the tiebreaker. So no matter what, Texas State is stuck in the 11 seed. Uh, they can't move up to the 10 line. So they'll have a little less to play for. I still think they're going to give a good effort and try to beat Southern Miss, but you got to imagine Southern Miss with a conference title on the line. The funny thing for the Golden Eagles, though, is they've now blown the opportunity to control their own destiny because, of course, Marshall has the tiebreaker over them. So now, after all this talk about UL and Southern Miss over the last three weeks, Marshall wins tomorrow night. Marshall is the number one seed in the conference champs. Yes. Um, other than the Cajuns, I think the three best teams right now in the league to to if you were going to name other than the Cajuns would be Marshall, JMU, and South Alabama. And they, you know, I think the most like if you're asking me for my prediction, I think I think we're going to go zero and three. That's what I think we're going to do tomorrow. But again, that's just I don't know. I mean, I I would think Southern Miss would win, but Texas State played them very well the first time they played. Now circumstances change and matchups change and all that kind of stuff, um, but we'll see. And the bottom line is, there's one game left, and the Cajuns still have. I mean, it's not a good chance, but but a really good chance to finish. To you know, but but a chance to finish in the top three and certainly in the top two. Because look, ODU could win at home against Marshall. That wouldn't be a shock. Um. So let's say that. Let's say the Cajuns win and ODU wins. Cajuns be the two seed if Southern Miss beats uh, Texas State as you would think that they would. But again, we'll see. Uh, so you know. So we'll, we'll 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 play that by ear. If the Cajuns are the three seed, they play at five on Saturday. If they're the four seed, they what did we say? They play at two on Saturday, mm-hmm. and if they're the one seed... They play at 11 a.m., right? Yeah, and if they're... Yeah. The three, they would play at, what, 8 o'clock? 8 last o'clock, game of the night. yeah. I'll tell you, you know, you, you talked about your favorite time of the year being draft season. I'm in my favorite time of the year. Conference tournaments for basketball are my time, and then into the NCAA. And really, like, for me, the NCAA, it's only the first two days of the NCAA tournament are what I really, really love. The whole first weekend, I guess. 
After that, I still like it, but I love those. I used I, when you I get used to, the to be that way. And, and I, I used to be that way, and, and I got a little glimpse of those days last night. Um, when I got home, I had to wait a little bit. Wrote my story at the Cajun Dome, and then got home, and I was waiting for something to come in. And I was flipping through the channels, and the thirty for thirty on Fi Slamma Jamma in nineteen eighty three came up. And, you know, I was just a humongous uh, college basketball fan back then. And I remember staying up to watch um, the first round, I want to say, that year. NC State won in, like, double or triple overtime on the West, a West Coast NCAA game against Pacific, maybe it was some little school out west, and like they had no business, like they should have won, and they and they really should have lost, and they ended up winning the national championship. Unbelievable, but anyway, so yeah, I certainly remember those days. Um, no, 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 no question there. So we'll um, last night baseball, I was at the Cajun Dome, so I didn't get to see it, but I was following it on my phone. What a great game! Uh, it was Baton Rouge night at Russo Park. Uh, Mason Zambo gets the two-run from Catholic High of Baton Rouge. And then Caleb Stelly, the other freshman, gets the game-winning hit. And Brendan Moody had a great performance. And we said BYU's good. I think BYU's good. Yeah, they kicked it around in the field a little bit, and that helped the Cajuns. But how about Blake Marshall, too? He comes in, faces five batters, strikes, strikes all five all out. All five out. And, and, I mean, that last inning, he threw two balls. He, he struck out the side on, like, ten pitches in order. So that was no. a glimpse to maybe maybe some things starting to come together in the back end. Okay, so Brendan Moody, Coach Degg said Monday that Brendan Moody thinks he's a starting pitcher. And Deggs and the coaches thought he was more of a back-end guy. He got to save the first game of the season, and he got – well, he didn't get the win last night, but he pitched well enough to get the win last night as a starter. So, I, you know, who knows? And what I kind of was mentioning, I think you take a look at Saturday, Jackson Neza scheduled to start. He obviously got roughed up at Rice in his first start. Um, you don't want to put undue pressure on him, but if he doesn't look good in this start, you might see Moody kind of move into that spot next week. It, it it is possible. Then we'll see what happens with Blake McGee's injury situation. All right, we'll take a timeout. Come back with Stevie P next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot. On the game we have with us, Mr. Stevie P. How are you, sir? Oh, Cat, I'm a little sleepy from, from last night doing doubleheader basketball, but, you know, we're going to make it through here, so I'm doing good. What about you? Well, it was, uh, you know, kind of an up-and-down night for the Cajuns. Um, you know, the, I didn't think the men played great, but they played fine, and they, and they, and they won the game, and the women – 
Uh, you know, Texas State, I think, was just a little tired of losing to the Cajuns. And when you watch a game like that, you say, how in the world did they ever hold Denasia Hood to four points? Well, you know, the, all of that's true. You know, I mean, as soon as later, the, the odds are going to come back to bite you. The Cajuns have had so much success against Texas State. They beat them about 20 points, you know, the first time in, 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 in San Marcos, Texas. And, uh, you know, it was just Texas State's uh, night last night. I mean, uh, they really was. You know, Hood played outstanding game. Kennedy Taylor is an experienced guard. You know, and it, 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 the the Cajuns, their success is, is predicated on uh, on defense. And it's not that they played poorly last night. I'm sure Gary Broadhead will look at the film today and say, look, we could have played better in some situations. But uh, you got to credit Texas State for just making some um, some shots because they're – they're a good basketball team. I, I think that I don't think that the Cajuns are twenty points better on the road than Texas State the first time they played. Nor do I think that Texas State is seven points better than the Cajuns uh, at the Cajun Dome, which was the uh, the case like that. You look at, at at the women's team, you know, Kevin. I talk about defenses is predicated. You take a, I think somebody like uh, Mariah Stewart, for example, has shown me some things as the year has progressed. She's got some moves, you know, offensively. Uh, she could score in the low post. She's got a, a, you know, a nice touch. And, you know, her first year of Division One basketball has really impressed me. I think she has some, like, Simone Fields type of type of skills, if, if, if that makes sense. So, uh, but what's the difference between her and somebody like Ty Doucette? Ty was somebody that can go out and help guard. And their defense is predicated on help. She's somebody that can go out and, and, and get out and guard a shooter. Stewart's not that type of player yet. I expect her to be, get better defensively uh, next season. But uh, that's my point. You know, uh, Texas State was hitting some shots last night. And sometimes you just got to tip your cap to the other guy. Now, with the women's team, you know, I, I look at maybe five teams in the Sun Belt that has an opportunity to win it. And the Cajuns are one of them. You know, I mean, they, they just. They, they they normally play very well in the uh, in the postseason. Got to get it done, uh, you know, next week because you know the conference tournament is kind of what it's uh, uh, kind of what it's all about. But you look at them this year, and again, I, I I hate to to bring up you know excuses or anything like that, but it's just to show you how well they play. You know, Brandy Williams is an all conference type of a performer. She missed basically all of last year. Played a couple of games, went down with the injury. Then she made the decision to come back this year and then got hurt again, you know, with the knee injury, just terrible. I mean, you know, and she worked so hard to get back. And, you know, but programs like, you know, Connecticut and South Carolina could afford to lose those type of players. You know, mid-major programs really can't. And, you know, just the fact to me that they've won 16 games this year, Without you know a player who's you know over a career is you're probably going to eclipse fifteen hundred points, I think is uh, you know pretty miraculous in in and of itself. So um, one thing I know about them, they're going to they're going to continue to fight. But um, uh, you know if, if a team like Texas State is hitting shots the way they were last night, there's there's not a whole lot that uh, that they could do about it. But I still like their chances chances the postseason. I really do. All right, so. Last week, we talked about jerks and pro four. Here we are. 
you know, about to start, you know, not that far removed from like the World Baseball Classic and spring training games and such. And we hear that El Pedro Grande is not ready and that Brantley is not ready. So what what do you think they're waiting for? Well, you know, is how much do you really like Jerickson Profar? And how much you know, is some of it on Profar? In other words, if I'm Jerickson Profar, I'm sitting here saying, well, you know, when, when Alvarez and Brantley are healthy, how much playing time am I going to see? You know, maybe it's Profar that's the one that's, that's kind of holding out. And, you know, he, they do, he knows that injuries happen during, during spring training because, I mean, I know all of y'all, y'all in, in, including you. You love practice games. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> thrilling for yeah. y'all. But, I mean, injuries happen in those situations, and teams decide, well, I mean, even with the Astros, the defending world champions, you know, it shouldn't surprise people – that that Michael Brantley, his whole career, he hasn't been healthy. Same thing with with, with Lance McCullers, and you, we're going to deal with this the Alvarez throughout his career because he just doesn't have healthy knees and he probably doesn't have a healthy body. So, I, I, to answer your question, I think some of it is probably uh, the Astros. Maybe they don't like Pro Four as much as us, but I think probably a large part of it is probably Pro Four and his agent saying, "Look, let's wait for the right moment. Something's going to open up." and uh, a team is going to have a need, and that's when they're going to contact us, and that's when the ball is in our court instead of the other team's court. And we've also heard that supposedly Mauricio Dubon is is bulked up and and is going to be more of an offensive player this year. I'll believe that when I see it. All right, we were just talking about you want to get sick. Like if you're if you're a Saints fan listening, you want to get really sick, even more sick and frustrated than um, before. I was just asking Dawson in the first segment, who is this year? Who is potentially this year's Geno Smith? And we couldn't come up with an answer. But you know what I think? You know who I think the answer really is. Not to say he's going to do it, but you know who I really think the answer is. Who is the answer? If I was going to ask you that, Steve, who is potentially the 2023 Geno Smith? Oh goodness! So you're talking about somebody that never really had done anything. So obviously, it's not my. Uh, just for whatever reason, the, the name that comes to mind is is Ryan Tannehill. But that guy went to a Pro Bowl. You know, G, uh, Geno Smith never went to a Pro Bowl with the with the Jets until he would you know uh, signed with the, with the Seahawks. So obviously, it's not Tannehill, correct? It's not Tannehill, and plus that wouldn't frustrate me. No, it wouldn't frustrate me either. I'm I'm kind of okay with him. Okay, I'm drawing a blank. Help me out here, Jameis Winston. He is the best guess for 2023, Geno Smith. And he was there all along, and the Saints never even gave him a chance. I mean, I still cannot believe what happened last season. I'm not anti-Jameis Winston in terms of them giving him a shot. But uh, my question is, what what would have changed? I mean, why didn't they play him last year? And he didn't have enough faith to to let him be the quarterback last year after he was healthy, unless there's something that we don't know about. Or, or what, how are you going to convince me, or more importantly, how are you going to convince Jameis Winston that he's the guy? No, no, no. no. I mean, he had, look, he he's not playing for the Saints. I'm saying someone else. Like, if he ends up going to someone oh, okay, else and becoming the, the 2023 Jameis Winston, I mean, uh, Geno Smith, I'm going to be furious. Now, I really believe what happened last season is 
one, I don't think Dennis Allen was a big fan of him. Plus, he did he was injured early on. Plus, early on, they were turning over the ball at such an alarming rate that they wanted stability, and he thought Crawfish could give him more stability than um, than Jameis could. And I think that's why he did that, and I don't know that Jameis is – and it's possible Jameis is never going to be healthy. That's possible because we talked about it in the preseason. He, look, he walks like an old man, even though he's not even 30 years old yet. So you know, you know what would be real, really sickening. Let's say, and we don't know how this stuff is going to play out. I mean, there, there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks, especially you know, like all of the NFC South. Yes. But let's say that let's say that Jameis Winston winds up signing with the uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. It's very possible the Falcons could have the best quarterback in the NFC South, or the Yucks, or the Arnolds. I mean, like you said, yeah. every all of them need quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, so uh, that, and that's why I'm so much on the Derek Carr bandwagon because is he a, is he a lead quarterback? No, I, but I think he's top fifteen. And you know the Saints get Derek Carr; they have the best quarterback in the division, which makes them the favorites to uh, to win the division. And you know, speaking of Derek Carr, too, you hear you know what what that the Jets say? Oh, he's gonna you know you come over here and you know you're going to be the final missing piece and you know we love you so much and we're going to win super bowls and if you win here in new york you're going to be a first ballot hall of famer uh, I, I i guess i believe that they probably told him that cuz it's part of the recruiting process but my question is if you're the jets and you really believe that why would you let him leave the building if you really believe that that you know he's a missing piece and come over there and he's going to be this great quarterback and he's going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Why in the world would you let him leave the building? Why would you worry about what Aaron Rodgers is going to do? So you know I, I'm tempted to believe right now that that the Jets are the Saints' main competitors when it comes to when it comes to core, but uh, I'm not going to go along with everybody else and say oh the, 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 the Jets love him and there's no way that he's coming to the Saints now. Well, I just don't know why would if I'm Derek Carr and I hear that foolishness. I got to be thinking, man, these people are blowing smoke. I mean, what? <laughs> like, what? I don't understand well, bottom, that statement. The bottom line, though, is that last year, if the Jets averaged 21 points per game, which was the average scoring statistic for teams in the NFL last year, if they just get to 21 points per game, they win 12 games during the regular season instead of seven. So, and, you know, and people talk about Derek Carr had a bad year last year. He did. You know, part of that was, you know, the, the just, the, you know, Josh McDaniels, this great quarterback whisperer, and everybody talks about how great he is. But Derek Carr did not have a good year. I think he ranked 28th in pass efficiency, 27th in passing yards. Of course, part of that was that, you know, he didn't play the, the last few games of the uh of the uh, of the season, but he's a lot better than, uh, than, than Zach Wilson. But you look at Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers did not have – in an elite year last year either. And also you're dealing with the drama of, uh, of Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers didn't buy all in last year to the, uh, uh, to the Packers. I don't know that he's going to buy all in to the, to the Jets. If I'm the Jets, I'm not risking any kind of an opportunity to sign Derek Carr by waiting for, for Aaron Rodgers. But, uh, but we'll see. Again, Carr is not elite, but I think he's a top 15 quarterback. Well, and so again, we don't know who's line. waiting here. Right. It, no, it is. Right. It is. It is just. It is just. The waiting is just so agonizing. So we'll continue to wait. All right, CBP. Appreciate your time, sir. It's been your pleasure. 
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, we've got lots of basketball to discuss. So if you want to talk basketball, we certainly can do it. And I've got some thoughts to um, run by Dawson at some point today or tomorrow with, with, with the Cajun basketball team. A little bit of a concern. Not a big concern, but a little bit of a concern. Uh, with the Cajun men basketball team. If you want to talk baseball, certainly we've got, you know, lots of baseball to talk. Great victory last night. Come from behind by the Cajuns. We talked about BYU being good, and I really think they are. Now, you know, they didn't pitch one of the two guys that pitched fabulous, had great starts against Louisiana Tech over the weekend. That's coming later. One of them is tonight, and so we'll see – how how that plays out. And again, we'll be talking more Cajun baseball with our friend Craig Melanson in about a half hour or so. Uh, but, you know, this whole, you know, quarterback carousel thing that we keep, that we talked about all of last year and, and just kind of keeps haunting us this year, it, um, it, it, it just doesn't go away. And I, uh, I saw... I saw a stat that just made me shake my head, and I want to dive into that a little bit. But first, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. So, Kevin, looks like you have to go uh, a day earlier to that uh, the, the tournament this weekend because of the Cajun not getting a double bar. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Well, they they uh, the Cajun women will be playing. Uh, pretty much to me, they're locked into the seventh spot. I guess it's not mathematical, but I mean, pretty much they're locked into the seventh spot. So they'll be playing the seven thirty game Wednesday. Kevin, I, I don't want to say it, so guarantee, but I I really think the Cajuns are going to lose to South Alabama. I really do. Oh, I, that uh, that's kind of what I'm expecting as well. I, I'm with you. You know, I just think I, there's something missing. You remember when they, they were playing that stretch where they won all those games after they lost the first two in the conference? I thought that stretch they would play real good. I don't find them playing at the top of the, the, the same way they played back then. Do you agree with that? No, I agree. And look, is it possible, you know, they'll get fired up again and, and, and really executing – uh, for once they get to Pensacola, certainly, uh, you know, they're, they're still in better shape on paper. We're talking about on paper. They're still in better shape on paper right now than they were a year ago when they made it to the conference finals. The difference is there's more teams. And I think the top five teams are better this year than the top five teams were a year ago. So there's more competition to get to that level. Now, the other thing that I was going to bring up that kind of worries me I, about this team um when when 
we've kind of been waiting for Kobe to kind of see what he's going to do and hoping that he was going to be able to make, you know, a pretty big impact. And look, he's still capable of coming in and knocking down a few threes. He hit a nice three last night. I thought he took a tried another one that he shouldn't have taken, but still I don't see where Kobe's kind of formed this little niche and he can, you know, I, I think his role seems to be more of a game to game thing. I, I don't, I don't know that he's really become a real big threat. And also the other thing that concerns me is Kentrell Garnett, as much as I love him and I think he hasn't done anything wrong at all, but like he doesn't even shoot the ball anymore. Well, the scouting report out on him, Kevin, because he had such a quick release. They had the teams that they're, they're really trying to stop that, and they're doing a good job. They're not letting him sit on that corner, that, that right corner, be wide open anymore. Notice that he does not have hardly any wide open shot. Exactly. So, again, early on, they had his three point shooting, and not that you had Kobe, but there was this thought of me. And, and, again, Kobe's there. I mean, it's not like – it's just I don't know that they've really figured out how to incorporate him on a consistent basis. And then Contrell still plays good defense. It's to his credit that he doesn't believe in taking bad shots. He's not going to take a bad shot. But I'm just wondering if somehow all of that, their offense is not as explosive because of that as it was at the beginning of the year like you were talking. Well, I'll tell you what, the thing about Kobe is I think there's a uh, Marlon has him, has him on a short leash. If Marlon thinks he makes one bad pass or takes one shot he shouldn't, he comes out. And I don't think that's the right way to shoot and let that go. You've got to let Kobe be Kobe and let him go out there and do a couple of things. You know, he might make a mistake, but, you know, if you keep let him play more minutes, we might see the whole Kobe. I don't know. I, I I don't even know if it's in the cards from a health standpoint. I don't know how many minutes he can actually go in in each given game. So I don't know. I I am a little concerned that he is not, you know, good. Could he step up and score ten points and and, and really help him win a tournament game in Pensacola? Of course he could. But I don't know. I just don't see as him as kind of in the his role real very specifically defined and. Kentrell's going to help the team because he can handle the ball a little bit and he plays great defense, but offensively they've kind of taken him out of it, and that's another weapon that they just they had the first round that they don't really have now. That's a concern as well. Yeah, well, Kevin, going to baseball, you know, I think uh, I think both of the transfers at this point on the weekend, even the one that from Old Miss, uh, and I think he wants too many people. I think Moody definitely needs to be in the rotation. And they might, they might have somebody else in that uh, thing they haven't given a chance to work. But uh, if you know, they keep on looking, they're going to have to find some, uh, some more pitching because if they don't get that top line starting pitcher, I think it's going to be the, pretty much the same as last year where it's going to be the starting pitcher. It's possible. My question is, are there enough options in the bullpen if you keep having a steal from the bullpen to help your starting rotation? At that point, I don't know that any of these guys are going to be seven, eight-inning guys. They're all going to be five- or six-inning guys probably. So who is going to fill all them different bullpen roles is my question. Yeah. Have a good one. All right. Uh, no, tough. You know, we'll – We'll see the answers. Uh, Coach Marlin made the comment that earlier this week that this team is built for what's going to happen these next two weeks, including last night and, and tomorrow night and next week in Pensacola. We'll see. I mean, I 
I just hope they can get that flair back. Once again, they didn't, I guess you couldn't say they led wire to wire, but they never trailed last night. And so it wasn't like it was a bad. I just thought it was a workmanlike performance, and that's fine. I don't. I don't know that you wanted to score like ninety-five points or anything last night. They need to save that kind of effort for tomorrow night against South Alabama. So we'll see how how that plays out. We'll be back. This is footnotes on the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Alexa and the game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, the game Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Once again, the game hotline 706-0111. 706-0111. All right. I saw a stat earlier this week, and I think this is something we've talked about for years on the show uh, when having our old QW argument. I, I, I think one of the most misunderstood, least um, discussed and most significant thing in evaluating court. You know, I'm a big, I think football is a team game. I, I, like I always say, I don't know. I know that a lot of y'all don't really agree with me on that and that's fine. But what I mean by that is refers to the stat that I, that I saw. And basically what it said was that since Derek Carr joined the Raiders, was drafted by the Raiders, that if you ranked all of the teams in the NFL in terms of defensive rankings and special teams rankings, the Raiders ranked 32nd out of 32 teams. In other words, he got the least amount of help from defense and special teams of any quarterback in the NFL over that time period. On the contrary, again, the reason why I think this is misunderstood, Tom Brady in his career got more help from the defense aspect than any quarterback in NFL history, which I believe is a huge part of why he had so much success. It's a lot easier to play quarterback if you play good defense and you play good special teams. Drew Brees for years had bad defenses, spotty early, and never played for a good special teams, a team with good special teams until like his second or third to last year in the league because they had they were horrific on special teams forever. Uh, the first you know, 11, 12 years he was in New Orleans. So I – Again, I'm not saying Derek Carr is, you know, one of the top four, five, six quarterbacks in the league. I'm saying we way too many people don't understand how little help he got when he was with the Raiders. Well, it's almost it's almost really funny to think the two top free agent quarterbacks right now are Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo. They're kind of the opposite of each other. I think they're in a pretty similar talent level pool, but. Jimmy Garoppolo's always been in advantageous situations. He's always had good defenses. He's always had great play calling. Uh, and Derek Carr has had the opposite. And so, yeah, when you look at some of the numbers, Derek Carr's career record, 63-79. and 
and Jimmy Garoppolo's is 40-17. and 17. But obviously those stats go farther than who the, p- the player is at the position. Now, I agree with you, and I think quarterback, of course, gets too much credit and it gets too much scrutiny. When you have generational talent at the position, it can overcome a lot of issues elsewhere. We see, we've seen that with Burrow the past couple of seasons. But when you're in anybody who's in that middle tier, Kirk Cousins, I think, is another one to put right there in the group. If Kirk Cousins has a really good group of guys around him, a pretty some playmakers and a good defense, he's going to be fine. Now, is he going to win you Super Bowls? Maybe in the perfect year, but not. He's not going to have you back in. He's not going to have you in championship games every year. And Derek Carr's the same way. But again, with what the Saints have right now and trying to maximize what they can do with the roster and the core, I think he's the perfect fit. And I would take him over Garoppolo, despite obviously oh, Garoppolo yeah. having the much better record. Without question. But it's funny to think they're really kind of they've both kind of had almost opposite ends of the spectrum when you talk about support. Yes. And look, Kirk Cousins, I think, had a really good year last year. But Kirk Cousins played with a horrific defensive football team. I mean, their Vikings were horrible. I can't say that I, I couldn't give you – I'd be totally guessing if I told you how good the, spe, the Vikings were or where they rank on special teams this year. Um, seemed like their kicker was okay. He made like a really long field goal to win it. But, I mean, I don't know. Their punter, I, I'd the be punter guessing. punter was a two-lane guy. He was teammates with my cousin in college. Wow. Fun fact. But I know one thing. Their defense was terrible. Like arguably the worst, if not the worst, pass defense in the whole NFL. So um, it's 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 very difficult when, when we talk about not. I mean, system quarterback is more of a of a college term. But when we talking about yeah, how much help do you get? Everyone, the 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 first level thinking is okay. What kind of targets do you have? And that's important. But to me, it's way more important to success of a quarterback and how you play, how good your defense and special teams are, what kind of field position do you constantly have to drive 80 yards to score points. That's way more important than what your receivers are and and, and also matters who your play caller is and what your schemes are. You know, all of that is just critical. Um and so I'm just saying I think Derek Carr has gotten very little help in his career. And so we don't we, – we know he's pretty good. All you got to do is look at his numbers. But we don't really have any idea how good he could be because he's never had any help at all. Let's go um, back to the game hotline. Hello. Foot. Yes, sir. Derek Carr had Josh Jacobs. Darren Waller, Devontae Adams, and he got benched for it. But that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Again, you're missing got, the point. He got benched for poor play, and he had probably the best tight end, one of the best receivers, and Josh Jacob who had a career year, and he got benched. So, I mean, it, I'm not saying Derek Carr is awful, but he's not, he's, not a, he's not what you think he is, I don't think. Oh no! I think he. I think he I, is. I th- first of all, this year he. First of all, Darren Waller hasn't been an elite tight end in a couple of years. But 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 because he's always hurt, he never plays. But the other thing is, he had a first year coach who's weird. Like that guy's strange, and and f- the fact that he didn't get along with some weird, strange. Uh, offensive play caller. I, I don't know that that means a lot. Two years ago, he had a fabulous season. Well, I mean, it, it, it's hard to to overlook the bench, the, the point that he got benched and he and he had. I think that means nothing. I think I think that means nothing. 
I think his benching was pure circumstantial based on what the Raiders wanted to do as far as moving on as opposed to his play. It has to do with the fact well, that they, they didn't did like each other. numbers? He, had, he didn't have good numbers this year. No, he didn't. Before they benched him? He didn't. But again... He he obviously did not mesh with Josh McDaniels at all, and Josh McDaniels and him did not get along, and it, they needed to part ways. But I mean that 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 has nothing to do with um, some his potential on another team has zero to do with it. I, I don't think I don't think Derek Carr is better than Jameis Winston. Oh yeah, he's better than Jameis Winston. Yes, and I'm and I'm way higher on Jameis Winston than you are, but he's better than Jameis Winston. Yes. Uh, I don't believe that, but we'll see. All right, All talk right. to you later. He's just – Jameis Winston just looks so old. No, there's no there's no comparison. between. I think he's better than him. But, you know, time will tell. We'll be back. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome. And to Footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111-706-0111. We are just having arguments on the air and off the air, and and it's it's all part of us why we have Sports Talk Radio. We certainly don't have to agree. I certainly have no issues with uh, discussing the subject and um you know Troy obviously he thinks Jameis Winston is better than Derek Carr. I, I just and look I I like Jameis more than I think Jameis's potential. I wanted Jameis to be the Saints starting quarterback this year. I wanted to see what he could do and I don't I don't think he was ever given a chance. I I don't think he ever played in one real evaluatable football game for the Saints. And so, in two years, that he was the in, over the last two years. So I, I just think it's a complete incomplete. I don't even think you can give him a grade because I don't think he played in a game you could properly evaluate one time this whole time that he spent in New Orleans. But, but no, I think um, I think Derek is is ahead of him. But I mean, again, it's all it. So much of it has to do with coaching and teammates and situations and I think Josh McDaniels is a weird dude and I, I don't I, I think he didn't want Derek Carr from day one um and I don't know certainly all the reasons that it didn't work out but his three his three to four seasons before Josh McDaniels got there were all pretty good. And so I, it's hard for me to believe that a guy in his early 30s who, who had a history of being a good, because he doesn't do well with a new head coach, play caller, is suddenly terrible. I, I, just, I just can't go down that. I, that's just hard for me to believe. I just can't go down that road. Down, down that road. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. But, you know, Josh McDaniels is not quality anyway. 
that guy's got quality. I mean, when was, when was he ever like a good coach or whatever? When? Well, I mean, he coached in a lot of Super Bowls, so he had to do something right. But I, I just That's think not he's. What I asked you, I asked you, when was he ever a good coach? A good head coach? He's, he has zero. Yes. Yeah, well, he has zero evidence never. of being a good head coach. Yeah. Never. He was never a good head coach. When he tried in Denver, he was cheating in Denver, couldn't get it done. The only way he succeeded is when the under Belichick's little wing and he could and he caught it back. I mean, caught it plays for a little time. That's it. Other than that, he's never been anything quality. Just a guy that's under somebody's wing that looks better than he really is. When he get get out there on his own, he can't do anything for you. He can't. You know, so I totally agree with that when it comes to him and Derek Carr. I mean, Derek Carr didn't want to play for him and I don't blame him. I wanna play for that guy. That guy's a grease ball. You know, wanna play for him. <laughs> you know, so I mean, come on. You know, pray for Josh McDaniels and all, and all, all the where the stuff he come from, the stuff he tried to pull and everything. No, I don't want to pray for him either. You know, I mean, all confidence, all body language goes out the window when he walks in the room. You know what I'm saying? Now, I know Carl can play. I said the same thing to you. And you know this. I've been saying the same thing to you for years about my ball staff. But a lot of people, you can't play, you can't do this, you can't do that, but he ain't got this or that. And that's all you heard all these years. Well, he had Calvin Johnson in this kind of good suit. Like that's a bunch of players. Two players is a bunch of players, though, and that that automatically should make you win. He ain't one with that, so you automatically a fair. You know, I'm like, that's some of the dumbest crap. I'm like, people don't understand the quarterback position at all. They don't, and that's why I get on you sometimes when you wish it was with these quarterbacks and all this kind of stuff and give them give them all kind of excuses and everything, especially when you're on a a bad team and you can't lift them too much and everything. When you ain't lifting. Everybody look at you as a bunch of junk and stuff, and knowing you good, but everybody just look at you as that because the team ain't winning. But like you said, it's the ultimate team game, man. The ultimate team game, you know. So a lot of these good quarterbacks, you put a good team around them, they will win. I don't believe you have to be like a lot of people on TV. If you're not like a top five, not a top seven, not in this tier, you can't win the championship. And that that that's junk. That's junk. That's really junk. So that's telling the public and not the fans. Only a top, a top five quarterback can win a Super Bowl. If you're not top five, you don't have any chance. No, trash, I, you, you, know? you know I don't agree with that. That's trash stuff. That's pure yeah. trash. If your quarterback is good enough, he got a good team around him, he can win the big game. He can win the big game. Hurts just proved that. Hurts, uh, I mean, could have won the Super Bowl. They lost, but he could have won. You can't tell me he's not good enough to win a Super Bowl. He was right there on the doorstep of winning one. You know, so I'm like, it's crazy how people look at these quarterbacks and stuff and they put them way up there on mountains and everything, and then as soon as things start going back, they blame it on everybody else or they blame it all on him. But team game, Kevin. So, I mean, I think Carl would be good for the Saints myself. And, like, Trump, oh, he's not – he might not be top this or whatever, whatever, like I just said, but he's good enough to win. You can't tell me he can't win games with a good enough team around him with a better structure. Now, the Dennis Allen thing with him – I don't know what that's going to do and everything because, you know, Dennis Allen will have a great track record himself, you know. So that's going to be the, you know, that's going to kind of be interesting to see what he does with him with those two together if they get together and, you know, become like, you know, partners. He the head coach, he the quarterback. Let's see what they can do because Dennis Allen got a shaky record himself, man. So I don't know. I don't know. This, uh, this whole thing is this whole thing is a question mark right now. The quarterback and the head coach and everything, and will the head coach and quarterback go together for us? So I don't know, man. I don't know. 
I just can't wait till we get it solved finally and get oh. a guy in the door in the building. Oh, yeah, the waiting and, and is awful. A, you know, the and, waiting and is awful. accumulated with us and everything. I'm tired of all this wondering and wondering and hoping and praying and nothing happened. I uh, want something to happen now. It's time. I'm going to hang up and listen. I, I agree. I agree. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hello. Hello, Kevin. Yes, sir. Hey, how's it going? It's going okay, I guess. How are you, sir? Good. I'm doing good. Good. I heard y'all was talking about quarterbacks. And my opinion, yeah, uh, I hope y'all get Carr, man. It sounds like you really want him. But, I mean, Derek Carr is way better than James Winston. I mean, any any scout or GM will, will say that. I mean, that that's no doubt. But anyway, yeah. And I heard you talking about the Tulane punter. Yeah, he had a pretty good season this year. He had a real good season. Punted really good. Yeah, I think he's a rookie. So, uh, yeah, and our defense was, uh, they got a lot of work to do on the defense. But, uh, yeah. You got uh, Flores. I mean, he. I think he'll bring a toughness that you didn't have. He t- typically. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah. I think he'll help. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's all about the, the 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 players and personnel, but yeah, he he's gonna bring that. Yeah, you so right. Yeah, I can't wait to see what he can do with him. You know, and need to get faster. It's all about speed, having speed on defense. But getting back to quarterback, I want to mention this to you too. You remember 2017? You can get it done with a, a basically a backup quarterback, Case Keenum, when we played Joe in 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 the, that that game. That, K- that K- exactly. K- K- Case Keenum took him to the Case NFC Keenum. Championship game. Yes, sir. exactly. And, and it wasn't because of Case Keenum we lost in the NFC Championship game. It's because our our offensive line was too small. We got pushed around all the time. That's continuously in the playoffs gets pushed around. We got bullied. So, yeah, it had nothing to do with Case Keenum. So you can get it done with a, you know, a Derek Carr type guy, especially. Your defense, you know, it, it, it's it's pretty good. So, and and, and of yeah. course, and of course, Case Keenum in that game lost to a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback who won the Super Bowl that year. You know, Nick <laughs> Foles, who's now a third stringer. Nick Foles, yeah. Oh, well, he lo- yeah, they lost to that. You yeah, it has nothing one. to do with the that's play calling one. or the coaching or the defense or the special teams. It's all about the quarterback. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> good talking to you. All sir. right, thank you. You know, what Mr. Rockefeller had to say there about Matthew Stafford actually got me. I think that if you're a Saints fan and you want the really optimistic look, that might be the comparison, Matthew Stafford. That's pretty mm-hmm. similar when you take a look at what he did in Detroit and what Carr's done in Vegas. Up and down, had some good years, some playoff years, never quite like reached a huge peak, never had great defenses, had a couple of pretty good teams. And, I mean, look. Like Derek Carr, I, again, I'm I'm not like the I think there there's you know an RP three's coming here and giving us giving us stuff about it. I, I'm not like the biggest Derek Carr believer in the world. I don't think he's a top five quarterback, but of the options you have, he's far and away the best option. Oh, it's not even close. Now I I don't I don't think Derek Carr's got Matthew Matthew Stafford had elite arm talent. Yeah, sure, certainly. But I'm saying from a from a and of course there's no perfect comparison, but. Like Derek Carr had a year where they went twelve and three. They had a year where he went where they went ten and seven. He had a lot of years in the middle. He wasn't ever you know really bad, and he's been pretty consistent throughout his career. Yes, no, Derek Carr is way better than what 
Troy and, and RP3 are saying. Now, again, he's never – like even this year, their defense was like 27, 28, something like, it, something like that. He didn't have, it, it's hard to be really good as a quarterback when it's constantly on your shoulders and, and, the, and, the, and you always feel like you got to score on every possession or you're not going to win the game. It's just – it's very difficult. And, um, you know, very few people can, 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 can withstand that and, and, and not turn it over, especially in a transition year where you're obviously not mixing with your play caller and, and, and new head coach. So, no, I, I don't – again, I, I, think, I think Stafford had elite arm talent on a bad team. And um, – but no, I I think I get what you're saying. The similarities of the storylines can, can play. Look, it just it 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 just make look. Just look at Jacksonville this year. You really think if you know, I don't know. I'm not talking about someone who was a complete um disaster show like Urban Meyer but if you just brought in you know let's say I'm just I'm Dennis Allen or you know Brian Flores or Vic Fangio or somebody like that was hired as Jacksonville's head coach you really think they would have their offense would have done what it did this year no they got a guy who can really call plays and he was an off, and and he made a humongous difference because he knew how to call plays. And so, who your play caller is, and who your, um, you know, the 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 amount, of, and if, but but if but even with him calling plays, had their defense been awful, like the Raiders' defense or like the Vikings' defense, they wouldn't have even come close because they won a lot of low-scoring games that they. They won with with their defense. It's just, I'm sorry, folks. I mean, we're going to disagree forever, but football's a team game. It just is. I mean, it again, the Saints quarterback play I don't think was that good, and they were three plays away from winning 10 games this year. Three 90-something percent plays away from, not because Crawfish is any good, because it's a team game. It also matters who you play and when you play them and how often the officials cheat you, too. That's something we never factor into this deal, but that matters a lot. All of that matters. All of it matters. All right, we'll take a timeout. Shift gears, talk Cajun baseball, and perhaps a few other things with Mr. Craig Melanson next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station over watching a mandated webinar at work. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming to this exciting meeting today to discuss... Take that, productivity in the workplace. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back 
to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us Mr. Craig Melanson. How are you, sir? I am doing wonderful. A couple of Cajun victories last night makes for a pleasant morning. Now, were you at baseball the whole time, and did you do some back and forth? I went to baseball till the end of the sixth inning or so, and then uh, missed about the first minute of basketball play. All right, so you know, obviously, a lot going on. Um, the the Rice series and the first game last night about against BYU is what what would be what's your biggest impression so far? Uh, I think this. I, I wanted to go back and look at this. Uh, I did look. Well, before I go to that, the one thing I want to say about the Rice series on the road. You know, we've only swept one road series to open the season once in the last 40 years. So uh, I, I I cringed all day Sunday sitting there watching the game going, I'm like, why did Kevin ask me that question if I thought we were going to sweep? But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it, 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 I thought that was a good series. I think the biggest thing right now, I think Cajun baseball, this is the the, the best we've seen a team start out uh, hitting the ball since about 2014. Um, I haven't ran the numbers exactly, but I know we've been we we were very slow the last couple of years, starting out in in the low 200s and everything. Right now, as a team, and I think we hit 304 as a team uh, coming out of Rice last night was a little bit of a struggle, but I think their their pitcher did very well last night. Kind of surprised. I think kind of kept kept everybody off balance. And uh, did a good job, and I think Cajun uh, just we didn't hit the ball well, obviously. But I think what you saw is what the Cajuns you're going to see all year with the Cajuns is uh, getting runners on base and then causing havoc. So um, I, overall, I think I think we're playing much better ball at the beginning of the season than we have in the in the last six, probably. All right, so. What did you see out of Moody last night, and how do you kind of see that playing out? Or really, I don't even know. I guess the coaches may not even know how they see it playing out. Yeah, I think it's just so hard right now because it's a midweek game, but it's not a midweek game. Uh, but you know, Moody has been uh, done well uh, in his, his two outings this year, so it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that you can you can take anything away from it. Um, you know the the BYU played four games coming into our series uh, Friday, a doubleheader Saturday, and then one again on Monday. So and you know traveling, I think they came down on Mardi Gras day. So I'm not sure that they uh, what to expect from them uh, last night is what we're going to see from them tonight or the next three days. They had two pitchers pitch outstanding games against Tech in that series, and I think one of them's throwing tonight and maybe the other one's throwing on Saturday as the scheduled start. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I kind of see some more low-scoring games. I, I think you will, too. I think uh, Jack Sterner, who throws tonight, right-hander that throws tonight, I think he's the best pitcher on the team in the young season so far. And then Cutter Clawson, like you had talked about on Saturday, is another good one. Uh, it, it's. I think you're going to see low-scoring games. I think, you know, 
Uh, I like the fact that uh, pretty much Coach Deggs kept Jake Hammond on Friday night, even though the beginning of the series was Wednesday. Uh, Jake, I said Jack, Jake Hammond. Uh, Jake, uh, I think, had a strong outing. I talked to him on Sunday morning before the game, and he said that's uh, the first game he had started since he was in high school. So uh, he he enjoyed it, though. He said he felt good and liked liked it that way. And I don't think we we saw uh, Nesu uh, pitch like he can pitch yet. So I, I do think you're going to see a lot of low-scoring games. And I'm, I don't know that BYU actually does a lot of bunning if they're – you know, they're really not a West Coast team, but they're, you know, they're not, you know, gorilla ball either. So, again, we're speaking with Craig Malone. So it's early in the year. And so we don't, re- you know, a lot can change. We, 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 we saw that change. I mean, look at what Jacob Schultz was doing last year at this time. And then look what he was doing at the end of the year. Totally different role. And, 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 and he did a great job of it down the stretch. So you just never know. Um, you know, how, how that's going to play out. I think the other names, the guys who were the heroes at the plate last night at, you know, a whole different thing. You know, first base, what's going to happen? C.J. Willis had a great ser- first series, and then Mason Zambo uh, got a big hit last night. And Steli, they're very excited about the freshman from Baton Rouge in the outfield, and yet there's already a lot of other outfielders that have done things so you know, those guys add a whole different element to some of these position battles. If if I would have told you at the beginning of the season, Carson Rocker, Rockefort would be batting 250, Julian Brock, Will Veon, and Mark, uh, Max Marshock would all have the below 150, you would think that we'd be 0 and 5 right now. I mean, it's just, or 0 and 4, I'm sorry. Yeah. Be 0 and 5. Uh, but, these guys are set. Uh, I watched CJ especially at the plate because I was wondering how he was going to handle it. Much better composer, composure, and uh, not as many strikeouts. And, and Dex kept him in uh, against left-handed pitching, which he did not do last year. So, uh, and Heath Hood had two huge hits last night. Well, one hit and one long out, which I think if it, if it's a regular. Friday evening, the rain's not there, the, the the fog's not thick. I mean, I think those two balls, are, and the wind's blowing in, I think those two balls are out by Heathwood. So, so you know, he yeah, he, he's off to an encouraging start. Again, I don't, when it's this early in the year, I don't really worry that much about batting averages or, you know, I, you know, I, you know, got because if you have a three or four or two or three game slump in the middle of the season, no one thinks anything. But if it happens in the first two or three games, then we blow it up bigger than what it really is. Well, you go back to uh, 2013 with Dex Kurtzstad, you know, started like one for 25 or something like that, then almost set the single season uh, batting average record for the Cajuns. So, no. I agree with you. It's it's much too early to look at that, but it's still very encouraging with uh, with C.J. Willis and Connor Higgs, and even Mason Zambo is coming on strong, which we did not see a whole lot out of him last year. I know Dex kept trying to get him more at bats, more at bats, but he just wasn't producing. So very encouraging. 
My biggest question is if Moody ends up being in the in the starting rotation, which we don't know that. It's just that he did have a really nice six inning start last night. Then do you have enough arms in the bullpen if you you know to to withstand a season? And obviously none of us know that answer right now. But what are your first thoughts on that subject? I think so. When you've got guys like Cooper Rawls, uh, Dylan Toy, Blake Marshall, uh, I know David Christie ha- has had a couple bumps, but I, I still think he's going to be fine. And and one of these other guys that we haven't heard about that we that we're not familiar with, I think I think they'll step up. I just think they have to, and we're just going to have to see how it plays out. Again, I, pitching is usually behind at the beginning of the season from hitting because unlike. Pro baseball, they don't come in early to warm up. And that was Coach Robichaud's biggest uh, uh, concern with pitchers was, you know, the beginning of the season, they haven't really loosened up their arms and they're not allowed to work with the pitchers early like they are in Major League Baseball. So I'm, 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 I'm comfortable with everything right now. We're 4-1, and one, not a whole lot to complain about. Um, again, I, I think all, th- you know, coach Degg said last night, I wasn't there, but, um, uh, Nick covered for us. And one of his coach Degg's comments, he thinks it's going to be a really good series. I, I, I think I, I, it wouldn't now the first, the series they have with tech was kind of up and down, like some one team would win by a lot of runs and the other team would win by a lot of runs. But I, I, I guess, you know, it's baseball, so who knows, but I, I kind of think all these games are going to be much more competitive like last night's game was uh, i agree with you i think the the that opening weekend of the season is just a lot of jitters uh you're moving a lot of people around you're trying different things i now you know we're only four games into it five games into it for for byu but i think uh you're gonna see a lot more consistency or more consistency coming forward this weekend than you did in your first weekend. All right. What are your early impressions of second base and the situations at second base and third base? Uh, the ball hasn't found Marshock, which is a little surprising. Uh, second base, I think defensively we've been fine. Uh, I think offensively we're, we're still looking for that, and that's where I think when C.J. moved over, that's why Deggs tried C.J. there last night. I think he was fine. The ball found him actually quite a bit last night. Uh, CJ is very smooth, but he throws with a purpose. So, um, and the coaches have been very good at applying shifts and not overshifting anybody. And uh, CJ looked very good last night. I'd like to see him play some more second base. Um, there were two other guys that played, but I don't think they were hitting the ball uh, last weekend at Rice. So uh, Deggs wants to see some offense out of them. A- absolutely. Well, it- it's just a tough time right now because, you know, you got softball is going to be playing in Baton Rouge and in Lafayette against LSU on Saturday and Sunday. You got baseball. You know, the, the-, the basketball is going to be in Pensacola a lot of next week. Uh, man, it's just tough to make all these events. It is, but that's uh, the, the the best part about it is that the majority of those games we'll be able to see on some type of TV if we're not out at the ball fields. 
it's a fun time of the year, but it's kind of frustrating too because you know basketball. All they although they've had some frustrations uh, lately uh, with losing a couple games, they're still playing well, and I think they deserve a good crowd. But you you're not going to see that with uh, with baseball opening up unless for some reason the weather gets bad for baseball. And then you had the whole shift from uh, Thursday, Saturday basketball to Wednesday, Friday basketball. Yeah, it's a mess. Which, yeah, which everybody knew it was happening. But at the same time, I don't think we took it into account when making. I would love for the baseball game to start at 3 o'clock on Friday. But, uh, but that's uh, not going to happen. Right, it's not, but I agree with you very much. All right, I appreciate your time as always. Hope to see you sometime this weekend. Take care. Will do. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We were just discussing with Craig the, the scheduling conflict. And look, some of it can't be helped. It is what it is. It, it, but it is... You know, frustrating for fans who or guys like me who cover them. I mean, you know, you got two basketball games as opposed to one baseball. But I really, I, I hated not seeing last night's baseball game. You know, the home opener. And, and then this weekend, I mean, do you go to Baton Rouge and cover the Cajuns against LSU and softball? Uh, you know, it's just it, it, the conflict is tough. Yeah, I uh, it especially is tough because if it was a Saturday, like for I just feel bad for basketball is going to certainly get split up attendance because there's a lot of people that are going to go to baseball. I mean, right. And it's if when it's a Saturday, which it you know a lot of times has been in the past, you can at least you know split it day night and maybe play baseball at two o'clock and still have the basketball game at seven. Right. But you hate to see that, especially with what the team's going for. You know, kind of a historic end of the season and trying to have one last run at it to try and finish off the undefeated year. And so you hope that the crowd still shows up. But then, then again, you got a baseball team that's playing well and got an intriguing matchup against BYU. So it's tough. It 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 absolutely is. So again, we've talked a little bit, of kind of what we've been talking about: quarterback situation in in. How it relates, you know, where the Saints fit into all of that. We've got a huge difference of opinion. Um, we've got one caller who who thought who thinks that Derek Carr's ranked, you know, thirty something best quarterback in the league. We've got, um, you know, we've got others who like us who who think he's more around the middle of the pack. Uh, huge difference of opinion there, and and that's okay. Again, there are. Um, it's why we have sports talk radio. If we all agreed, it, it really wouldn't be um, too exciting to have sports talk radio. But uh, we we have very different of, of opinions on there, and we'll see how that plays out. Um, I still don't know if I believe that. You know, a lot of people are trying to guess 
what Carr's motivations are. Like, why would he wait? Because theoretically, there's a there's a line of there's a thought process out there that if he waits until free agency starts, then his stock drops. Like, he's like, you know, the number one attraction right now until free agency starts. And what does he really want to go somewhere? Who really wants another quarterback? I, you know, I don't. It's hard to know, and then uh, then some people obviously say it's all about the money. Whoever gives the most, I, I think most of the time that's correct. I, I do think that some player, some athletes go with fit a little more than money. I mean, it it doesn't. Not every athlete, every time in every free agent situation goes for the most money. I don't think that's not accurate because it's not true. Like everyone, you know, you're not gonna go to the team that offers you the least. But I think plenty of times guys offer um, go for a, a, a fit more than they go for the absolute highest bidder. They might go for the second or third or fourth highest bidder that they think is a better fit um, or, you know, they might go for more long-term security than they go for one or two years of, of more money. I mean, that happens all the time. And we so better, I don't think you can purely say it's all about money. Yeah, no, it's certainly definitely not always all about money. But the Saints, we better hope it's not all about money because we're not going to be the highest bidder, no doubt about it. Someone will offer him more money. But I, I, I still go – I still go back to what were the Saints going to pay Deshaun Watson? Like, there's no way they were going to lowball him or they wouldn't have even been in the top three. I'm just glad that didn't work out. And I, and I didn't want it to work out at the time, and I'm even more glad it didn't work out now. But, yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great point. Now, how much other, other now, parts of the now, roster Deshaun might have Watson, changed? Deshaun Watson, at that time, let, let, let's, at that time... Deshaun Watson and and look, I still think the look the, the 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 bar for who the fifth best quarterback in the NFL is right now is higher than it was two years ago. You know, it's high, when when Deshaun Watson he was probably about the fifth best quarterback in football, fourth or fifth best quarterback in football the last year that he played before all that craziness happened. Um. There are more since then, you know, Justin Herbert and and Joe Burrow and other elite quarterbacks and Jalen Hurts has become, you know, and I think the jury is still out a little bit on on Jalen Hurts. We'll see how that team adjusts to everything, all the changes that's about to come to it. But uh, there are more top 10 type quarterbacks now than there were then. Uh, and if sitting out, you know, time will tell whether Deshaun Watson can get back to the level that he was, uh, when they were what up 24 to nothing or whatever, 24 to seven or whatever it was on the chiefs in a playoff game a couple years ago. And he was, he was playing at an extremely high level then and carrying a team that, you know, didn't give him a whole lot of help, uh, in a lot of areas. So, um, I don't know if he can get back to, to to that level, but but the Browns better hope that he that he can. So, but I mean, if he does, I mean, he'll at least be a top ten quarterback. I you know we'll see how 
Well, we'll see what this new crop does. We'll see what Justin Fields can do. Um, I, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not buying that the Bears are going to trade Justin Fields, and so you know, we'll see what these other two or three. You know, there's no way all three of these guys are going to be really, really good quarterbacks. I, I don't. I, I think probably only one of them is going to be a really good quarterback. I, I'm, I'm. I'm pretty sold on Stroud, but I, I think the jury's out on on the other guys that are probably going to be top 10 to, to 12 quarterbacks in the draft, and we haven't even gotten to the draft talk. But, um, but no, I think Deshaun Watson was higher on the totem pole when, he, when the Saints were talking about him and the Falcons were talking about getting him um, than – than Derek Carr. Yeah, right certainly. Now. And no, I when I say I didn't and I I didn't want to get into that mess because of the off the field mess. Not a, I certainly didn't expect Deshaun Watson to play as poorly as he did this year. So yeah, I will clarify my statement on that. But I am glad we didn't and I'm glad it didn't work out for multiple reasons now. Not only is the off the field stuff still a factor, he also looked pretty terrible last year. So that's but that's just how that's how in you know such an inexact science this whole thing is, you know? I mean that who'd have thought he'd have played that poorly? Um, regardless of the situation, and that's the argument I think to be but had he hadn't about any played of these. in two years. Yeah, Plus, so he's been right. You know, which still makes again he is he is the going to be the biggest cap hit in the history of the NFL this season. And now the Browns, of course, I mean it's the Browns have you know this happens to them often, right? They don't make the best decisions all the time, but they're going to have to try and build a roster out that's maybe not as good as they even thought it was, while also having the highest you know the biggest contract in NFL history. So that's that's tough for them. It it, it 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 is that. I just hope that somehow. I mean, I, again, I don't know what the Saints were going to end up giving him if they had gotten him, but I they you know they've got to be willing to come a little further than I think some of us are thinking right now, or or why even go after it? Like I, I you know, I don't know. I. I I, I still can't get the Deshaun Watson pursuit out of my mind to think that they're going to go from that to totally lowballing Derek Carr. Like, what good is – why even go after him if you're going to lowball him? I don't think lowballing. I just don't think they will be the highest bidder because of some of the other teams that have that have the money to be able to just kind of throw a stupid offer out there. And I think somebody – the farther we go, now again, maybe some of these other dominoes fall, that changes it. But right now, with Derek Carr still being kind of like the big fish that's out on the free market at least, not the trade market, I just get the idea that some team is going to throw a pretty dumb contract out there, which we'll see. And if you if if he ends up signing, if the Saints don't get him, I sure hope that the that the contract he gets is crazy high, to where I can feel better about the reasons they didn't get him being money related. Because if he just chooses a different situation, that's going to sting, um, especially if he if he well, takes less it is. Money. Look, I think the Jets is a really good situation. Yeah, it makes a lot of other sense. other than for the sure. New York City part of it for someone like Derek Carr who. You know, he seems to be a little on the wear his emotions on his sleeve kind of guy. I don't know how that's going to work. I, I just don't know about the fit there and, and how he's going to handle all that. But somehow we'll see. Oh, the waiting, the waiting. We'll be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Which NFL MVP annoys Kevin Foote the most? Who is Aaron Rodgers? He's the most arrogant athlete I've ever seen. I think he's really, to his core, that arrogant. He really believes, why in the world are you even speaking to me? You are a lower form of human being. That kind of arrogance is what I'm talking about, and I think that's who Aaron Rodgers is. That is correct. Now, back to more footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. So we've covered a lot of bases, done a little, had some little disagreements, and we'll just wait and see. Again, basketball, the women lost. Pretty much it looks like they're locked into the seventh seed and will more than likely be playing Arkansas State. Not a fact, but a prob- high probability at 7.30 next Wednesday. The men's team... You know, uh, after last night's victory over Arkansas State, could still finish first, second, third, or fourth. So the only thing we know is that they're they're not playing until next Saturday. Uh, they got the we call it a double buy. I don't know if it's a full double buy, but okay. Uh, you know, they don't have to play till next Saturday, and so that's one thing we know. If the Cajuns win and Marshall. And Southern Miss both lose, and the Cadence will be the number one seed. And, you know, other things can happen based on the Cajuns are now one game ahead of James Madison. But if the Cajuns lose and James Madison wins and James Madison will win the tiebreaker, then the Cajuns would become the four seed going into the tournament. So, you know, again, lots of options based on who's going to win or lose tomorrow night. But by tomorrow night at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock, we're going to know the, uh, you know, the men's and women's schedules and be able to speak in, in specifics. Yeah, and I know I, I, I was a little weary on the three-team tiebreaker thing earlier, but you had it right. It would be the winning percentage amongst all three teams, which the Cajuns are 2-1 and one against Marshall and Southern Miss. Um, Marshall is 1-1. One and one. And Southern Miss is one and two, so the Cajuns would win the three-way tiebreaker if that's what it came down to. So they could again go f- be first, second, third, or fourth. A lot of different options, but the good news is none of the options involve having to play be- be- before Saturday. So they'll be getting plenty of rest, um, and you know you just have to hope you play well. I mean, it's just you know it, that sometimes it's just it's a matter of whether you make this free throw with 34 seconds or don't make the free throw with 34. You know, I mean, it, who knows what's going to happen, and the matchup should be interesting. Yeah, and we didn't talk about it that much, but they did shoot free throws pretty well last night, so I thought that was nice. Jordan's still struggling, but the rest of the team, I think they were up 75% for the for the game and hit you know a good number of them, so that's a good sign. They've I said it last night, too, while I was watching the game. They have got to get Jordan Brown figured out at the free throw line before the tournament. He's going to – because teams, they're, they're going to send him to the line, and we might see it with South Alabama. They've got the big seven-footer to defend him. They're going to probably send him to the line a good bit. He's got to be able to hit just at least 65 See, 70%. I just wonder if it's a fatigue thing because there's nothing fundamentally wrong with his shot. And sometimes he looks great at the line. It's not I wouldn't say he's a terrible free throw shooter in that it well, there's just no hope for him. It's not like that because his shot looks fine. Like I, well, you know, my I'm dad, wondering if it's a fatigue thing. My dad always points out he he puts a little side and he points this out about all free throw shooters. He puts a little side spin on the ball. He comes across a little bit. And when he's going well, it feels like he's doing that less 
so than coming across. Now we're getting technical with free yeah. throws. And I'm sure the free throw coaches over there, you know, the coaching staff that works on free throws knows more than we do about free throw shooting. But yeah, it seems weird that he was up over 70% for a good portion of the early part of the season, and now he's, he's almost down to 60 now. That's why I wonder if it's a fati- it's, it, 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 sometimes he just gets fatigued in the line, loses focus or whatever. So, uh, And on the flip side, Arkansas State was terrible. And going into the game, they were like eighth in the conference, just middle of the road, 70% as a team. And last night, they couldn't make they it. They didn't even come close. Like, Caleb Fields hit like the bottom of the rim on one of them. It wasn't even close. And so uh, that, that, that was that was bizarre, uh, you know, certainly good for the Cajuns, so we'll see. You know, it's possible that I'm building up South Alabama bigger, but I've been talking about how scary they were even before these last eight or nine games. I mean, uh, but they've now won eight out of nine, and I, I, I think, I think, you know, they've got – I would put them in the top three or four of teams, you know, to to make the finals for me. Now, again, all it takes is one bad performance and you out once once we get past tomorrow night. So it's, but 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 there are five or six teams that if they made the finals, I don't think it would surprise many people, and I would certainly put them in that category. Yeah, and that's that's a big contrast to where we felt like the league was three or four weeks ago when it felt like it was the top four and then everybody else. Now the you know you can add probably three teams to that list and and some of the teams that are at the top Southern Miss and UL aren't playing anywhere near their best basketball right now so can they get it figured out I think tomorrow is really going to tell us a lot I think if the Cajuns play well tomorrow and win that game or even you know I hate hate to say lose that game but lose it but play well then you probably feel pretty good but if they struggle and South Alabama kind of continues to expose some of the weaknesses they've had might be in trouble in Pensacola. I still and I don't know if Georgia Southern is consistent enough to win a tournament or get to the finals, but I I think they could beat anybody in the league on a given night. Georgia Southern, anybody. It's going to be uh, fun, Pensacola, no question. Y'all have a nice day.